Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So we're going to look at, so we're in a series called When You Pray, and um, we're looking today, uh, we've been looking through Matthew chapter 6, and if you remember what we've, we've looked at, it started out with Jesus saying, when you pray, don't pray like this, and he talks about how people can sometimes do it in some really religious, ostentatious way, they're kind of playing for the gallery, playing for the, praying for the crowds to notice how good they are at praying, or how good and religious they are, and he's like, you know, that, that doesn't even really count, you know, they, they, they get their reward from the people, they shouldn't expect any re- reward from God for that kind of prayer so don't pray like that and then he said now here's how to pray and he said when you pray say our father who art in heaven and he gives us the lord's prayer it's like a pattern for for us to be able to pray so that when you say i don't know how to pray actually you do because he's told you you can always pray like this and when you start praying the lord's prayer it's not meant to be the end of the prayer it's often it's something that gets you praying as you start to do that you think actually you know what god's my father you know, he's our father. And, and then you, you can pause and, and suddenly you start praying in a different way as a result of that. And then um, at the end of that, now we've gotten into the next section, which is what I'm going to call the disciplines of prayer. Because Jesus talks about some disciplines of prayer. These are things that we're going to look at today. And, um, and they are, and I'll, I'll tell you in advance, they're forgiving, fasting and giving. So here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if, if say if. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, as somebody once said <laughs> down in the front. And, uh, and whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal but store store up for yourself. Say for yourself. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because it's like God doesn't really need it. You know, God's not skin. Where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, say cannot, cannot serve God and wealth. Mammon, mammon. It's like a spiritual entity, this word mammon. We can translate it as money, but it's basically got power. And Jesus says it can enslave us. 
So today I'm going to talk about these disciplines of prayer. I won't have time to um, talk about all of them in depth, but right here I'll give you the three. In the order that Jesus speaks about them, first of all, they are forgiving, fasting and giving. And I wonder which one of those you want me to talk about the least. Um, maybe it will be the, the one you want me to talk about most will be the one that you feel pretty good about. Won't it? And the one that you want me to talk about least will be the one that God really needs to talk to you about. So he's talking about these disciplines. Even though discipline for us is not a popular word, it's very important because disciplines make disciples. The two words are really linked. Disciplines make disciples. You become a disciple by disciplines that you practice. But don't worry, this isn't about like um, standing and being inspected on a parade ground. It's not about pulling your socks up and trying harder. Disciplines are not about trying, they're about training. Big difference. Big difference. How many of us think you could just get up now? Adam Firth has just run, he's one of the elders here, he's just run 120 kilometres over the Dolomite Mountains. And did it in just under 20 hours. He's bonkers. Pray for him. How many people here think you could pretty much now, just if you wanted to, if you really had to, run a marathon? Anybody? Adam. Adam probably could. And, but I, now... Have you been training at all? Yeah? You didn't just think, I'll just do it. No. See, most of us, many of us, many of us in the room probably could. But not by trying. We do it by training. You know, you see people, you hear incredible stories of people. You kind of think, there's no way that they could ever do it. You have people, you know, like, like these soldiers who've had like, their legs blown off and things. And then they're like, they're determined. They look out the window. They see the London Marathon. They're like, I'm going to do that in two years' time. And they, they train and train and train. They go through all kinds of things in order to be able to, to do it. So it's not about trying. It's about training. These practices are things that you practice. Nobody's brilliant at them straight off. We have to practice and as we get better, as we train, we get better at them. And, and the Bible talks about training in righteousness. So there's a writer called Andy Crouch and he, he writes this about spiritual disciplines. Um, the words are coming up on the screen. When we practice the spiritual disciplines, we discover how deep our commitment to our own comfort runs. How addicted we are to the approval of others and to the satisfaction of our appetites it's like there's something about these things that makes us go oh wow I really need to uh, to work on this so what is discipline discipline is when I do what I don't really want to do now in order to be able to do something that I do really want to do later it's like I don't, I don't really want to do it. There's, there's times, this morning, I got up, I went for a run, I went to the gym. I did the workout at the gym, I ran back. It was brilliant and I loved it because it's sunny and it's nice and because I'm feeling good. But if I decided to not do it, if I just missed one and then missed another one and missed another one and then after a bit just kind of got out of that, it wouldn't be fun. It would be hell. It would be awful if it was raining sometimes. I, I don't, but there's times when I don't feel like doing it, but I do it. Because 
I want a different result in the future. I want to do things now that I don't want to do in order to be able to do things then that I'll really want to be able to do. I want to be able to run and play with my grandkids and all that kind of stuff and, be, and to, to enjoy that. And so because I really want to enjoy that for a long, long time, there's some things that I don't massively enjoy now that I'll end up doing. Do you see, the, see what, what I'm talking about here? How much time do you think the World Cup players spend in training? You know, you notice every time you see them, what are they doing? They're training, aren't they? They're always training. And then they get their 90 minutes, but they don't just like turn up. No matter how gifted and skilled they are, gone are the days that it used to be that, you know, the world, that people would, you know, at those high levels would, you know, professional footballers in the 60s would have a pint at half time. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, so if you're going to play, if you're going to do something at the highest level, you need to train at a higher level. So come on, England. Anybody else? And, uh, and come on, Senegal. Because that's my, um, my team in the Ivy sweepstakes. <laughs> Senegal, Senegal, Senegal. I think this is our time. Senegal, this is it. This is our time. Sorry, anyway. So we're going to think about these three things. But we're not going to do them in the same order that Jesus did. We're going to break them down something differently. And we're going to talk first of all about giving. So on your seat or somewhere near it, there's an envelope. Please do me a big favour, hold it up. Just, in fact, just hold it in your hand so you can look at it. And just keep it in your hand while I'm talking about giving. Okay? Because sometimes, to be honest with you, there's a giving moment that happens just about every week here at Ivy. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I think people don't think about it. Or if they think about it, they don't think about it until they're made to think about it because, oh no, it's that moment. And then we don't really think about it much and so we don't do anything very much with it. And so across the Ivy sites last week, when I looked at the, the sheets, now I know that some people give regularly by standing order. We're really grateful for everybody who's decided to do that because we can't do anything. We can't plan or do anything without planned giving that we know people have decided to give and it to be done in a regular fashion through the bank. To be honest with you, if you're doing that, thank you very much. And thank you very much anybody who ever put anything into the offering here at all. We're super grateful for anybody doing that. But I looked last week and, and I looked across the Ivy sites and when I did, I was kind of a bit amazed because I looked at what came in, in the buckets and basically I worked out that if there's like 60 people in an Ivy room, we get about just less than 60 quid. And if there's 120 people in an ivy room, we get about just less than 120 quid. And if there's 180 people in an ivy room, guess how much we get? About 100. So it's roughing out about a pound per person that goes into the, the thing, which some people, I appreciate, a pound's a lot. It's, you know, but for many of us, a pound's really not that much. And um, it feels a bit like a tip. And I'm not sure I want to be tipping God in terms of what we're doing. I, you know, in some ways, I think knowing the kind of God that God is and that he owns the cattle on a thousand uh, hills, maybe he would kind of say, you know what, if you need it that bad, why don't you keep it? Because actually, I, I, I think God, when he talks about giving, he talks about it being a heart measure. He just talks about that in what we just said. It's a measure of our heart, of how much we love him. And it's a bit like, you know, if I came to Zoe and said, you know what, I really, really love you. I really love you, Zoe. I'm going to sing a song about you. I'm going to spend like a half hour. I'm going to sing everybody publicly. I'm going to tell them all how much I love you. I'm going to sing some love songs. Zoe, Zoe, I love Zoe. Zoe, Zoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, well, okay. Now I really want to show how much I love you. Now I've got an opportunity to show you how much I love you. Oh, okay. I'm going to give. Here's a quid. I can't see her being overwhelmed. 
Now, I know there's all that stuff about the widow's mite, but that was a specific widow with a specific backstory to her giving. That was not a general rule for everybody. The general rule for everybody, actually, what Jesus said about her was, she, even though she gave a little, gave the most. Because she gave everything. That's the difference. We kind of make it into, oh, it's the widow's mites and the little thing. No, you miss the point completely, if that's what you think it's about. The Bible says, you know, God, God's not got a problem with money. God, God is the one, the Bible says, who gives us power to get wealth in the first place. Anything that we ever got came from him. Now, before I was a Christian, giving for me meant um, it was football card in, in the pub. I would always do Ipswich and United if they were available. If not, I took that as a sign that I wasn't meant to do it. So that was my giving. And then and sometimes, um, you know, I would I'd, I'd, I'd put, some, they'd put the change from the beer money into the charity pot on the bar. That was my giving. That was, the, that was basically it. Then I became a Christian and I started to be confronted with some of what the Bible says about ownership, about who God really is and that it's him who gave it me and I'm a steward and I'm responsible. And I had to deal with some things over there. And, it, and again, it's practices. It's over time I started to think differently. To be honest with you, I started to be, get a bit more grateful for all the things that, that God had given to me. But, you know, early on, even though I'd, I would say, if you ask me definitely, I've given my whole life to Jesus, I still kept my money to myself. Have you given Jesus your life? Yeah. Have you given him your money? Ah, it's my money. And the way Jesus would describe that in this eye stuff is it's about trying to have your eye in two places at once. And rather than being sort of single-minded. So I would love the worship and I would love it and we'd all be singing. And I would, but sometimes when the offering came around, I'd see it as this kind of bit that I resented, if I'm just being honest. It'd be this thing of like, oh man, why can't we just worship? Why do we have to do that bit now? Why can't, I just, why can't we just sing? Why can't we just listen to what's going on? Why do you have to bother with all that stuff? And I kind of resented it, if I'm, just if I'm being honest about it, without realising that actually the only reason we could probably keep on doing the thing that we were doing was because some other people weren't resenting it, but were rejoicing in the moment. And we're actually happy to give. So when we're saying this, we're not it's about trying to twist anybody's arm. This isn't, the Bible says you should never do anything out of compulsion. You know, again, if I said to Zoe, if she said, oh, I brought you a lovely bunch of flowers, and there you go, and she went, oh, thanks very much, and you go, oh, it's, you know, I, I felt I had to do it. It's my duty. Yeah, thanks. You know where to put the flowers. <laughs> See, how to be happy in terms of finances, according to Jesus, is not the way that we might think it is. The world says the way to be happier is to get. God says the way to be happiest is to give. It's totally different. The world says the answer to any money issue is more money. But I've found, I've had more and I've had less, more money didn't necessarily make me more happy. But giving always did. Whether I was struggling or, or not, I could always find something to give. If I thought about it, I could always find, if I could find something to be grateful for, I could always find something to give. So I could always be generous. Giving is, is in that sense, you know, Jesus talks about money and he said money is a little thing. It's not a big thing to God, but it's a big thing to us. It's a massive thing to some of us. And giving is just a way that God wants to shape us and change us. It's a tool to shape our hearts. And 
See, money itself does not change us. All it does is magnify who you already are. If you are stingy, greedy, and you get more money, you're just going to have more money to be stingy and greedy with. If you're grateful, if you're generous, and you get more money, you're going to be more grateful and more generous. Two billionaires. The story of two billionaires. There's a guy called Adolf Merkel. He was the, one of the, he was the richest guy in Germany. He had a, a personal wealth of eight billion. Um, and he lost a few million betting against Volkswagen, thinking that their shares would go down, and they didn't. And so suddenly now he finds himself as only the third richest guy in Germany. And he's gutted. So he goes out and he writes a note to his family, says, I'm sorry, goes and lays on a train track and dies, kills himself. Because what did money mean to him? Everything. What was his master? Money. His psychology about money was the problem. It, money wasn't the, was money a problem for a man who's, at the time, I think he had six billion left? No, but his problem was not with money. The problem was his treasure was all here. You've probably never heard of a guy called Charles Feeney. He was uh, the guy, he made eight billion too. They're both eight billion, eight billionaires. He was the guy, if you've ever gone to a, a duty free, he invented duty free at airports. So in 2017, he gave away the last bit of his eight billion. He achieved the goal that he set, which was to die broke. And until recently, nobody even knew that he'd done it. He did it anonymously. He did it, um, his name doesn't appear on any of the walls of over a thousand buildings that he's built around the world. Hospitals, universities, schools in the poorest areas, uh, museums, art galleries. They're not the, the Chuck Feeney, whatever. He's just done it over years. He just set up this thing to give it all away. He said this, you can only wear one pair of pants at a time. That was his philosophy. Now, which rich man was happiest? I remember hearing a guy called R.T. Kendall once uh, giving a talk. And he talked about a wealthy man who tithed and gave very generously to his local church. And he was a, a, his business was doing really well. Then it all crashed and he lost it all. And somebody came up to him afterwards and said, how do you feel now? Don't you feel foolish about all that money that you wasted by giving it to your church and those charities? And he said, wasted, lost, no. He says, you don't understand. That's the only bit I get to keep. I, I lost all the rest. I get to keep that because that was what was put into the treasury that Jesus talks about where moth and rust can never destroy. Everything else you can ever buy is a bad investment. Everything is going to go. You're going to go with it. There's, and you never see pockets in a shroud. And you never saw a hearse pulling a trailer. It's all going to go. And you might think, you know, so when we're in terms of giving, what we want you to do, you see, I want to encourage you, we're actually going to do this for a few weeks. We're going to put the envelopes out on every week. It's not to make you feel guilty, it's just to make you think. Is that okay? Because I think we should think about it. Whether or not you decide I'm going to give or not, feel free, whatever one you want to do. But we just want you to think about it, to take it as a moment to actually think, okay, Lord, do I want to give? Now, sometimes 
in, in worship, I'll think I already gave. You know, because I'll think I've, I've set it up through the bank and I actually give, I've actually worked out 10% of my income goes back to the local church and then over and above that I give. That's what I've done for years. And I, I'm happy doing that. But then in the worship, sometimes I think, you know, God, I'm thank you that you didn't ever say to me, I already gave when I gave you Jesus. But that you gave again and again and again and again. And, and, and sometimes in the worship, I'm like, you know, grab an envelope and I just want to put something in and whatever's in my pocket. It goes in, but I put it in the envelope because I also, because I'm a gift, a tax aid, a gift aid person, I get that back. But even if I didn't, I want it to be identifiable because, you know, if you make your gifts identifiable, if you just put your name on it, we can pray and give thanks for you. And, and Catherine and the other people pray. We pray for the people we know who we're giving to the church. We're thankful for them. But if you don't know and we don't know, that's, you know, again, it can be between you and God. But we'd ask you to consider making an identifiable gift and actually put it in the envelope for us because you know what you might think how much have you given God knows yes he does I don't know if you know but God knows according to this every penny that you've ever given and that you'll ever give he knows and it will, one day it will prove to be the best investment that you ever made so you might think I don't know what I gave but, but God knows every little bit a guy called Sir John Templeton, one of the richest, greatest inventors, investors in history, says this. If you have nothing, but you're euphorically grateful for whatever you have, you're the richest person you're ever going to know. See, you can make a great investment in the kingdom of God with an incredible return, safe and guaranteed forever. Here in this world, if you invested money and got a 10% return on it, if you got a 20% return on it, if you got a 30% return on it, people would think you were a genius, financial genius. But the Bible promises a heavenly investment will yield 30, 60 or 100 fold, which is 3,000, 6,000 or 10,000 percent. It accumulates. God notices. No wonder my friend J. John says, do you giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going? So I want you to look at the envelope and think, and in a moment we're going to take up the offering in the middle of the talk while I go on to talk about the next thing briefly, which is about fasting. So if you want to give, feel free. Put something in the envelope. You can use, you can fill in the, the thing if you want to do it by a card. I don't want you to be, feel under any pressure to do so uh, at all. This isn't about us needing money. It's about us needing to think about all that came in and be grateful for it and then decide and make a, a positive decision. This week I'm going to give. This week I'm not going to give. You know, all, even if you, if, you, if you just give us back the empty envelope, we'll be, we'll be grateful because we can use it again. If you put cash in, if you put anything in, make it identifiable. Please do that because to, to identify the gifts helps us to be able to plan everything better. So in the next few minutes, as I'm speaking, I'm going to carry on speaking. In a few minutes, in the middle of the fasting bit, we're going to send the buckets round. And uh, we just wanted to do this across the sites we're doing this, just to help us to think about this so that we don't just think about giving God the occasional tip or, uh, or, or leftovers. You see, there's a passage in the book of Malachi when God's talking about how in those days, people, if they were going to give in the worship, it was an animal. Thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to bring a sheep in with you today. But in those days, they would come in and, and he said, you know what? I've known, God says this, when you come into worship, when you come into the temple, you bring in with you. It's like you've gone through the herd and you've picked out the lamb with the bad leg. 
you've got that animal that's got like the weeping sores all over it. And then you present that to me and you think I should be glad. And it's like, God's like, try that with your governor. It's like, see what your boss would say about that. Am I not a great king? That's the question. When you come to an offering time, is God to you a great king? Because if he is, you're going to give him first and you're going to give him best because you're going to see that he is first and he is best. So that's the discipline of giving. Quickly, fasting. I read a lot of books about keeping fit and exercise and health and all that kind of stuff because it's really important. That kind of literature is full of the benefits of fasting, which makes it more and more popular. But the kind of fasting Jesus is talking about here is not like the 5-2 diet or it's not how to get that perfect beach bod. It's not that kind of thing. Because it's, it's, even that, it's all f- focusing on me rather than focusing on God. Fasting is about focusing on God. And it's not compulsory. It's, it's, it's voluntary. There were, there were times in the Bible when people fasted because they needed divine help. It was like they needed a breakthrough in some way. But the only time it was commanded in, was in the Old Testament in a time called Yom Kippur, which was on one day of the week. The Jewish people were commanded to fast. The Day of Atonement. Now, we don't have a day of atonement because we had a day of atonement. We had a, a day called Good Friday when Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world once and for all. So now we never have to go back to that. But the New Testament tells us, you know, Jesus started his ministry with a 40-day fast. There was something powerful going on there. And there's no command. That doesn't mean necessarily you must do 40-day fasts. It's just a... a something for us to be able to think into there's no command about the way or the length or the type of fast but Jesus did say when you fast didn't he because not because it's commanded because it's assumed he assumes that people who follow him at times are going to fast you know fast food I don't mean fast food I mean fast food (laughs) you know I'm fast oh fast food means I get to um, go to McDonald's more that's not what we're talking about it's you know maybe some people you could fast something really hard like the phone Have like a day of no phonage fast. How hard would that be? That every time you thought about your phone, instead, you thought to pray. Wow. Would you pray a lot? I bet we'd pray a lot that day. And maybe fasting some TV or whatever it is in order to concentrate on God. Richard Foster defines fasting as this. It's on the screen. The voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So fasting again, it's not a way of twisting God's arm up his back or making him answer. Sometimes it seems like that. I hear and think about people, you know, we're going on a fast and it's so that God will do this. It's like, really? I'm not sure you're in control like that and that God has to do anything because you did this. I see, it isn't, fasting is not to get more from God, it's to get more of God. It's, I, I'm, I, I fast and I don't do it as much as I should but when I do fast it, it's because I'm saying God I want to be hungry and thirsty for you I want to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness for the kind of thing that you want on the earth and I do believe that there's tremendous power and breakthrough in fasting and that's why it's something that I think we, we want to encourage more and more but more than anything I think it kind of 
it disentangles me a bit from the world. It starves me of greed and consumerism and all those kind of things. It makes me focus more on what's most important, which is him. So, basically I'm saying to God when I fast, I'm going to do without this because I can't do without you. I can't do life without you. So I'm going to do without that just to show me you're my necessity. You're the, you're the one I really need. So if we can start to take up the offering and uh, the buckets can go around while we're doing that. Because the final discipline is going to be using this other bit of paper that you've got this probably pink piece of paper. And you've got a pen. And that's not anything to do with the offering. This is for the final one, which is about forgiving. And for some people, this will be harder. This will be the hard one. Hardest of all. You could, write, you could happily write a big cheque. You could happily skip a big meal, but don't ask me to forgive that person. In the chapter before this, Jesus told his disciples, when you're offering your gift at the altar, he's talking about worship here, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not that you've got something against them, that they've got a problem with you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go, and first be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. See, this is so important when we pray, because Jesus is saying, you can't come into church and pretend that you're enjoying sweet communion with the Lord while you've got a bitter heart about somebody else. It's like, don't go getting all vertical with God when you're now, without dealing with the horizontal that's taking place all around you. See, last week Jesus instructed us, when we pray, you ask your heavenly Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How does God forgive us? Completely, fully, freely. I'm going to look at that tonight about how the debt gets cancelled. So talking about debt being cancelled is actually a really good way to think about forgiveness if you think about it. And that's what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to invite you to forgive. See, for some people, forgiveness feels too hard because it seems too soft. It's like, what are you saying? I'm going to let them off. Why would I let them off? And so I hold on instead. Hold on to resentment. The word, the opposite of, of forgiveness is not unforgiveness, it's resentment. Resentment literally means refeel. It's like I'm going to feel that pain over and over again. I'm going to keep on remembering what they did to me. Every time I'm going to feel it. It's like you nurse the grudge, you hold on to it, you don't let it go. But when you keep refeeling it, you're never going to be healing it. God's not going to heal it while you keep on refeeling it. So the first step in this process of forgiveness is identification. Say identification so I know you're there. Identification. So if while I'm talking, I'm thinking about forgiveness, if the Holy Spirit brings to mind somebody or something, you can write their name on the piece of paper. You can write it in code if you want so that only you know what it is. You, you don't write the per name of the person sitting next to you so that they can see it because we don't want anything like that going on. But basically, you can write it down. So if there's somebody that you can identify, if a face comes to mind from this week or, I don't know, the first day at school, whatever it is, if there's something that the Holy, somebody, the Holy Spirit brings to mind or a situation, just write it down, identification. The fact you can identify somebody is good because that shows that you can deal with it. It can be healed. That's the first step towards forgiveness. Too many people end up with this broken pain on the inside of their hearts because they've just got this unidentified thing going on of, of like there's, there's hurts and there's pains and but you know if God brings somebody to mind it's, it's so that he wants to heal it and to help so that's the first thing so as I say write the name down on the piece of paper if you want to do that put it in a code put their initials on or something like that but but let's do this 
Let's actually engage with this. Think for a moment. I'm going to give you a minute, not even a minute, 10 seconds. Any situation, small, medium, large. Could be you, could be you needing to forgive yourself. So you identify it. Second is calculation. That means you count the cost. I'm going to talk more on this tonight at uh, Ivy at seven o'clock. It's so important. But you think about what they owe you. Think about what they did. Think about the debt. Think about the cost of the debt. Think out, count it, every penny, calculate it. And you can, if you like, even imagine that's going on the bit of paper. It's like a bill. What is it that they did? Count it. Now, if you want to, close your eyes and start to pray. And if it helps you to focus on the cross... Imagine Jesus Christ on the cross. Picture him dying for the sins of the whole world. Wearing a crown of thorns. Hear the jeers and the cheers of his opponents. Smell the spit on his face. And his blood. The most precious substance in the universe being poured out. So every sin can be forgiven. Every one of your sins can be forgiven. I see at the cross what my sin costs God what I owe him I deserve punishment I get pardon because Jesus died paying the debt he didn't owe the debt I could never pay so as you stand there be grateful for that and now what are you holding on to Jesus looks at you from the cross and he says about the list of sins committed against you, as well as those committed by you, that belongs to me. I paid for that. That is mine. It's not yours to hold on to. I paid for it all. Will you give it to me? You can hold on to it and walk away. Why would you do that? This is the decision to make of forgiveness. It's the choice, the decision to forgive. Identification, calculation, then cancellation at the cross of Jesus Christ. So you know that the, one of the last things Jesus cried out from the cross was tetelestai. means paid in full. Paid in full by Jesus. That thing you hold on to. The, the cost of the hurt that you feel. You could hold on to it. You could press for payment in some way. You're never probably going to get it. Anyway. Give it to him. That other person, they may never be sorry. They may never ask for forgiveness. They probably don't deserve it, but then neither do we. So as the band come up, I'm going to invite you to sit and I'm going to bring the bin to the front. And if you want to, just as a sign that you're doing this, you're going to, we're going to bring the bin. And in the worship, just as we start to finish, you can come and you can screw that thing up and throw it in the bin. And nobody's going to go looking through them afterwards and reading them <laughs> because they're gone. And the next time it comes back and you resent it, you refeel it. And the little voice comes inside and says, but don't you remember 
what they did, you can say to that voice, yeah, and I remember what Jesus did. And I remember I forgave them. I remember I'm forgiven. I remember I forgave that person and I'm not holding on to that anymore because I'm free. There's nowhere else you can go. You could spend 20 years lying on a psychologist's couch and never let go of that and take it on through the rest of your life. Or you can come to Jesus and be free. Just lay it at the foot of the cross. So that's what this kind of bin represents here. Just imagine that this is at the foot of the cross and it's the place where Jesus will take our pains and our hurts and our things that we need to forgive. And if you want to, you can just come in a moment in the worship and, and give him that. Some people, that's actually what you need to give him more than, more than anything else, more than promising to fast, more than giving, writing some big check or anything in the future. You need to give him the pain that he paid for the hurt that he hurt for the punishment that he was punished for and by his stripes we are healed Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.